Hey guys, welcome back to the BCM and the AM podcast. We are so excited because we're wrapping up the identity series with a special topic with our special guest host, Jason Hayes, lead pastor at Shoreline Church. Please say hey, Jason. Hey guys, uh, man, I'm thrilled to be with you all. Hope everyone's doing well. Also with us is Rodney Norville, tried and true, the one that's always here. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. And then I'm Zach, your usual host as well. So let's get started. So our topic today is all about identity, obviously, but it's our identity informed by our mother and father issues. You know, we can all go ahead and have our mouth vomit finish and then we can swallow it back down and get rolling because this is not a topic any of us really want to pour our guts out on the table about but it is what it is so Mainly we'll because we're just worried that maybe our parents will listen to this <laughs> and we'll That's get correct <laughs> I, was, I was actually going to just uh just not mention that this conversation is going to happen uh with my parents <laughs> i love it I I was sitting here thinking I will get in trouble no matter what. This is just gonna, <laughs> not going to go well. But somebody has to talk about it. So, what is one silly parenting faux pas mess up that you have made? I don't think I can answer this one unless I'm talking about yes. my dog. So I'll let you guys take that one away. Rodney, go ahead. You get you get to lead the charge on this one. Oh, I'm going to let you indict yourself before I indict myself. There are numerous ones. I think the one where you feel kind of the most guilty right away is when kids are little, um, it's fun to scare them. You play peekaboo, you play all those kind of things. If they get older, you still do that, and they do that to you. And and it's always the worst when it, you're expecting laughter and they burst into tears and cry. That's the right. worst. <laughs> um which does happen sometimes. Uh, but one particular one, I think this is important to, to note is because um, I was devastated and realized how careless I was with words. When Jacob was like five or six one time, uh, he did something and me uh, spouting off at the mouth, I said, in, in just partly, but I mean, he was a little bit in trouble. I'm like, I was like, I'm going to kill you. And he took that literally because he was just a child and he was terrified. Mm. And I was like, oh, no. oh my gosh, the power of the words that come out of my mouth for my son. And of course I was not going to, you know, but I mean, he'd never heard anything like that or he'd never taken that to heart um, from something that I'd said to him before. And I was like, I have this huge responsibility and I have got to back up on this tremendously. So that was, I guess, the day of reckoning for me to realize, oh my goodness, watch your words. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Uh, I've probably made a number of those statements as well over the years. I have three boys. Uh, for those that don't know, I've got a 14-year-old, a 11-year-old, and a 9-year-old. And so, yeah, the uh, the options are limitless of all the stupid things that I've said over the years, things that I've done. Um, you know, I actually shared a couple of weeks ago at Shoreline of a random story that I'll, I'll mention again to you guys is that um, I don't necessarily know that I would ever recommend this to anyone else. But my boys, my two oldest boys had just been at odds with each other all day long. I just battled all day long. This has been years ago. And, um, and eventually, uh, one of them just got to the point where he actually just basically made a threat to the other one. 
And so then it just kind of came <laughs> back and forth. And, and again, I mean, they were young, so they weren't going to harm each other really. Um, but uh, they went back and forth two or three different times over 10 or 15 minutes. And I was just done with it. And I literally said enough is enough. And I took the two oldest boys, Hayden and Henley, and I took them outside in the backyard and said to them, I want you to fight. I just want you to get it over with. Like enough is enough. <laughs> like if you're going to talk all this junk, then just get it done with. Just do it. And uh, and you could imagine, I mean, it was a awkward wrestle at best. You know, they just couldn't barely know what to do. But it actually gave them that that was actually one of those things that um, we joke about as a family now that somehow, you know, it was like the Lord decided to um, redeem my ridiculous parenting and like actually <laughs> teach them something out of it. And they understood they didn't they didn't want to be violent. They didn't want to do that. There was a discomfort there and, um, and it wasn't really rewarding for them. It didn't resolve anything. Um, yeah. And I think that truly was like the Lord just saying, listen, you're an idiot. I'm going to I'm going to protect, I'm going to protect your children. And uh, I'm going to even show my grace even more by even teaching them a lesson in it. So uh, although a pretty good end result, it would not be my strength, my greatest moment as a parent. That's awesome. That is awesome. I, I think there was some times that I kind of wish my parents would have let me duke it out with my little brother. But at the same time, I'm six years older. So it's not really that's not really OK. Well, it be noted, too, that my young I mean, my middle son has always been big, like like strong and tall. And Hayden's always been lean. So I'm um, even even Henley at 11 years of age probably weighs a little bit more than Hayden right now at 14. So I wasn't completely sending them into some like you know unfair fight. Uh, so <laughs> it is what it is. We all we all do some stuff like that. I think if I had to say it from a dog parent perspective, I think <laughs> making <laughs> I know you could laugh at me for this. Uh, it is my fur baby. She's 80 pound German shepherd. So it's basically like having another person in the house. Uh, but definitely like letting the dog on the furniture. Um, that was a huge mistake because now we have fur on everything and we can't get it off and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> so, you know, it happens. it happens. But, you know, when they're little, it's just so cute. And then it's it's not cute anymore when they're eight, they're 80 pounds and they take up half the couch. And, you know, your friends come over that are allergic to dogs and you have to vacuum the couch every time they come over. That's not a that's not a treat. Anyway, what are some quirks that you inherited from your parents? So back up a generation now, quirks that you inherited from your parents that you didn't realize you had until either you were married or somebody pointed them out to you. Basically, like, what's something you grew up doing that you didn't realize was weird until somebody said, yeah, that's weird. <laughs> uh, I'll start on this one. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily know if I would say it's so weird. So, so maybe not a quirk, but certainly, like, my dad uh, is just um, kind of uber prepared, uber attentive to detail, uh, he is the camp that is early as on time and on time as late. Uh, and, and um, you know, kind of considering all situations, scenarios, being prepared for anything that could come down the pike. Uh, I can think of, um, so I, I did grow up here in Knoxville. We moved to Nashville, Carrie and I did for 
seven years or so and then moved back to Knoxville uh, to plant Shoreline. Um, but I still have all these like childhood memories of, of this area. And uh, as a senior, maybe as a junior, senior in high school, um, I mean, I didn't drive, I, I lived out West. I didn't drive downtown a ton. Uh, and um, the prom was at the Tennessee Theater. And my dad had me do three test drives from West Knoxville to the Tennessee Theater parking garage. Uh, you I know, so so I could just make sure that I didn't wreck my lovely date and you know and and ruin a, a good night. And so that's kind of the the home that I was raised in, at least from the perspective of my dad. And so I inherited a whole bunch of that, like a whole bunch of that. And um, I. And again, I, I don't know if it's necessarily that unusual. I think there's a lot of people that way, but I certainly see it as distinctive because Carrie's not that way. And we're actually a really, really great compliment uh, in that. And that was almost the complete opposite of her upbringing. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's probably one thing that I see myself kind of putting into my kids' kids life I'm not trying to like I certainly am not the lawnmower parent like just going ahead and knocking stuff down in front of them mm -hmm. I'm not the helicopter parent either like I am just like let's just be prepared uh you know and let's be on time and let's do those things so that's probably one for me what about you Rodney my parents both uh my father later uh went into engineering but uh to begin with they were teachers mm. and so um you know, birthdays and Christmas were interesting because we always got learning games and things like that. You know, like everybody else is getting that, you know, fun stuff and we're getting something like how to know your 50 states. Yes. And, you yeah. know, I mean, but, so like that still kicks in today. And it, in a, you know, a spouse relationship, I think Marisa at first was kind of, of course, her mom is a teacher as well, but. And my, and my mother's, my mother's a teacher for, yeah, like, for 25 years. teaching so, yeah. me or are we having discussion, you know? So uh, that just kind of bleeds over into everything you do when you have that teaching mindset and learning is fun and blah, blah, blah. So that's definitely a parental trait that I still do. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm guilty of that as well. From the other side, like I said, my mom was a, 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 a early education kind of uh, teacher. She taught kindergarten, first grade, whatever it may be for 25 plus years. And so same story, Rodney, I, I get it completely. That's awesome. I think something for me is, like you said, Jason, my, my wife too is is pretty opposite that I am. And so it's funny when she highlights things like that's, that's weird, because I can usually go, well, you're weird too, but it's okay. We, we work. <laughs> but one of the things um, that I had never realized that was kind of strange is that my family over like the dinner table, whenever information was shared, nobody ever like asked about it. Nobody ever asked for information. It was just like, if something is being said, it was all volunteered. So like, but with my wife's family, everything is asked. And when you ask, it's more caring. And I didn't realize that until I was in a relationship with my wife when we were dating and I'm sitting there like, and so that's my day how are you know, like how was your day <laughs> yeah and she's like it's good <laughs> yeah she's like you have to ask me more than that and i'm like i, I don't understand <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> talk to me about these questions you're describing that's right. how do, how do, what do you mean questions <laughs> so 
now as we move from like silly things to uh, more serious things, I know this is like a hard left, but what is a mark on your life that was left by something your parents did or didn't do that plays into who you are? Ooh, Rodney, that's you, buddy. You, get- <laughs> hey, you know, when you said Mark, I think there are marks all over my life that are my parents. Your handwriting, your parents' handwriting will be all over you. I mean, yep. that's just true. Um, and I try to think of like, uh a little bit of i don't know maybe i have rose colored glasses but i usually think of honestly my parents in a very rose colored light uh not all my siblings do but i'm also told i was the golden child so i looked at things differently um, (laughs) of course of course you think that rodney (laughs) so like uh the way that i looked at it so much and a lot of my parenting skills are like um I, I tell Jacob, we're like the mafia, you know, my girls are not old enough to really do this, but I'm like, you take care of us, we'll take care of you, you know, yeah. like, so there's yeah. not a whole lot, like one of the things in my parenting, that my parents were not chore people, we lived on a farm, everybody just worked hard, yeah. so it was not like, this is your chore, this is your chore, this is your chore, but as long as my parents saw me busy, great, if my parents saw me lazy, not so good, you know, so um, there was so much freedom in that. And same with money, like some people are like allowance people, their parents are like, give them an allowance, and that's it, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I was always kind of like, tell me what you want or need. And if we can afford it, we'll go for it. If we can't, we'll Mm -hmm. save money for it. You know, I mean, like, so like, those things definitely stuck and left a mark on me because to this day, I don't really like the legalism of curfews and of all these restrictions because I'm like, stay close to what the intention of what my teaching is. And I'll give you a lot of freedom. Mm. Um, And I try not to be legalistic. The flip side of that is when people get legalistic with me, I get irritated pretty quickly because I'm like, you don't trust me. You don't think I'm responsible. I can't do this on my own, you know, because of, and that's a lot from my parents. That's a mark from my parents. That's good stuff. And like that, and it, that actually resonates a ton with me as well. I, I've, uh, and I've not really ever thought about that, but yeah, it was kind of the same culture for me. Uh, my parents both grew up, um, in in kind of farm life and things of that sort and so it for them it was just always like yeah you don't you don't your chores aren't this this and this your your responsibility is to be an, a contributing member of the family <laughs> you know and, uh, and and so i think that's how they also raised me and that's probably the way that we're raising our, our children uh you know there's it's not to say that there's not days when we when we need to get certain things done that we don't divvy it up. Like, all right, you're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this, but there's not this weekly routine. And I appreciate even what you said, because for me at times, I think it can feel a little legalistic in some of that. If you get there in the same way with, with resources or, or, you know, uh, whatever allowances or anything of that, you know, just like, where have you earned it? Do we, do we have a need? Is it something that really is a good stewardship of our, funds and if so we can do it or maybe we wait a little bit i think all that makes sense i think for me that's one of the things that i again go back to my dad my dad was um uh can remember we called it the silver bullet i honestly don't know exactly what it was i don't know exactly what kind of vehicle it was okay but i can remember my dad in my high school career driving this like tiny little like 
Dodge something maybe I don't know but it was like a tiny little silver car that was you know like face model everything and here's the crazy thing my dad retired at 55 uh and my and was very very successful like in terms of business um and sold a you know was was a part of a, a great business also got into the uh, rental and real estate stuff as well during the World's Fair in 1982, did that on the side. And so it's just interesting that as an adult, when you realize, wait, you, you don't get to retire at 55 if you've not, if you don't have some resources, you know, like you don't, <laughs> you don't get to do those things if you, if you've not been successful in certain ways. And to think though, like in, in no fashion were we like skimping by, I'm not saying that, but just to like this idea of frugality and the idea of like putting others, because we, because my brother and I, we were never in need uh, in the sense of if we wanted to play on a ball team and it made sense, we'd be able to afford that. If, if again, you know, if we, we had clothes and we lived in a, a, a nice little home and things of that sort. But it was just this idea that now as an adult, I really reflect back on and like, man, like, like he was so sacrificial on his own things for other people. And so um, to say that it is a mark uh, means that it was really formative. It, it really is, it's spoken to me. I would like to think that it has also shaped me for me to be that same way. Um, but at minimum, you know, uh, at minimum, man, it like, it's like, as an adult, I look back at it, it just speaks volumes to me. So, yeah, and, and that's, a, as I'm sure with Rodney, there's a list of 20 things we could mention. That's just one for me. Mm -hmm. I know with my parents, they were always really um, hospitable. So like anytime, and sometimes that was, you know, bad here and there in like a helicopter standpoint of like, we want to make sure everything's fine. So come to our place so we can watch over it. But at the same time, they would go like above and beyond for people to be able to come over for our house to be the place to, that people can come over. And that really like sunk in me. And it's a big deal to my wife too, because her family was very similar. You know, they, they want to host people, they want to have people over. So needless to say, COVID is killing us to not be able to have people come over to our place all the time. I mean, before it all started, we were having people three times a week, maybe two times a week kind of thing. Uh, so now it's just like, if we can get two people, that's, you know, whatever we have to do to make it work. Um, but that is definitely a mark on my life is that that hospitality that they just so infused in us about like, if you, if you can create a space that, you know, people love coming, then they'll just come on their own kind yeah. of thing. Sure. Well, one of the, uh, the marks on my life has to be, you know, I know we, we covered some some good ones, but we always know that sometimes parents don't leave the best marks and sometimes it turns out to be scars. And sometimes those, those scars um, hurt for a long time before they heal. And so for, for my family, it definitely had to be when they got divorced. You know, I, I was a full adult when that happened, but that doesn't mean it was any easier. And it doesn't mean that it, um, didn't feel in some aspects like I still had to deal with it in, in many different ways. So it definitely left a mark on my life because it was or a scar on my life because it makes me question relationships really heavily. Um, 
that I may not have before. And it, in a positive sense, it forces me to want that deeper connection with people rather than, than being willing to settle for, you know, small talk or, or surface level things. You know, I, I love my parents, but they, when I saw it start turning downhill, you know, they didn't want to spend time with each other anymore. They were always in separate places in the house. You know, my, my dad would feel valued at work. My mom would feel valued when, you know, she's with friends or when she's home finishing up things. And then when they would come together, they would feel that value from one another. And so one of the, the highest things that it places on my life is this real desire to always make sure my wife, Kristen knows like where we stand and like where, where we are at all times. You know, if there's something we're both frustrated with, we deal with it that day, we deal with it that night. You know, if it's a long-term thing, then we, we take the time necessary to deal with it. We don't, we don't let it sit. We don't let it rot. We don't let it hide or anything like that. And we don't let busyness get in the way of dealing with, with something. So I would say that's one. I, you know, I, um, my, my folks were, were great to be with, but I, some instances stick out that, um, as counselors would say, kind of a father wound. And I remember um, my father, he was a good man, but he was often silent and uh, was not always super caring or compassionate with my mother. And I felt as a boy, you know, the oldest boy in the family, I often felt like I uh, wanted to provide her more of that compassion that my father seemed not to. And he may have, I just, I didn't see that. And one time my father said something to me um, that was pretty wounding because he, it was like, he was really put off that I wanted to do something for my mother and not to do something that he felt was something that I needed to do for him. And so we had words over that. And I was thinking in my mind, I'm protecting my mom. She needs more care than what you're giving her. And my father was thinking, basically, you're, you're choosing to be more of a, you know, a, a woman, you're choosing more of a woman task than hmm. a man task. And that was very wounding to me. And, uh, obviously we forgave each other and moved on, but that, I, that was a scarring moment, you know, where we, we had pretty sharp words over something that uh, he perceived in my life and I perceived in his life and reading into that situation. It's funny how the, uh, it's not funny and it is funny how the wounds, the wounds our parents leave okay. unintentionally affect where we head in different ways. Yeah, I think there are always memorable moments where maybe an underlying issue comes to a head. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I realized this with my son one time um, when he was in sports and he was early on, uh, he actually asked, he said, like Marisa wanted to do something for him, wanted to go to his ball game or, or practice or something like that. And he said, no, I need dad to do this because dad's going to be critical. And dad's mm -hmm. going to tell me the things that I need to do to get better. Well, I puffed up over that. And I was like, oh, like Jacob appreciates my input. You know, that's really great. Mm -hmm. well, it was probably six years later 
and I'm having a conversation with him and it was the total opposite. And he said, I need mom to do this dad because you're too critical of me. <laughs> and I, I just shrunk mm -hmm. because I was like, oh, I thought I had been doing the right thing because of something that we talked about six years ago or longer. Hmm. And instead I have been doing, you've changed, I've changed. And instead I've been doing something that's hurting you. So, you know, we are talking a little bit more seriously about our lives, but let's, let's, let's change the view. Let's go toward what the Bible says to inform us about why this particular identity of basing everything about ourselves on what our parents have done can actually be a bad thing. And let's, let's go to somewhere that can inform us somewhere better. So what are some examples in the Old Testament of mother father wounds? I'll, I'll let Rodney start, but it, it kind of feels like the entire Old Testament. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Rodney, any specific example stand out to That's you? That's a t-ball question, huh? <laughs> yeah, let's just start with the patriarchs, man. Every last one of them. You got Abraham and Sarah were so dysfunctional, um, uh, taking uh, their promise of a lot of children into their own hands and uh, Sarah having, you know, Abraham sleep with their maid and have a child by them. And so he had a child by a maid. Then he has a child by Sarah later on. And those two boys constantly had strife. Right. Passed down to the next generation. You got uh, Rebecca and Isaac, um, which, by the way, Isaac was almost sacrificed by his father. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, Little talk about <laughs> a scarring moment in your life uh, to get beyond. Um, hey, you are the they, wait a minute. You are the dad that threatened to kill your kid, though. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, yes, exactly. I'm, I'm just so, <laughs> you know. So you got you got them, and they have issues, and um, between two two boys, Jacob and Esau, which got so terrible that Jacob fled because he thought Esau was going to kill him. Yeah. And the mother and father are playing against one another because. Um, you know, Rebecca's favorite is Jacob and Isaac's favorite is Esau and they play favorites, which is takes down to Jacob. He's got 12 sons. He plays favorites with wives and sons because he's got four. I mean, just an absolute and total, total dysfunction of everything. Parenthood. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to think about it. Uh, I was thinking probably, you know, Zach, when you sent us these questions, I was thinking about it like, what are the goods and the bads, you know? Yeah. And it de definitely felt like, oh man, there's like seemingly to be a lot more examples of bad than there are good. I mean, there's certain things. I mean, you, you look at, you look at Noah, for example. I mean, you know, it's pretty cool. Like dude, this guy basically built an ark uh uh and did this incredibly bold like faithful thing with complete trust in who god was and 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 not only uh rescued his family but created a, a legacy for all of us in in so mm -hmm. many ways and so you, you see the positives um but i think there's a piece to to really what we understand about the old testament that actually speaks to the family which is this I mean, the Old Testament is just all about brokenness and it's mm -hmm. all about, uh, uh, you know, even God's people continually being unfaithful and God continuing to prove that he's good and kind and faithful mm -hmm. and then just continuing to like forget and to not trust and yeah. to do all of these things. 
you know, we so often think about like when sin comes into the world that it just like begat more and more sin. That's true. It also really brought fallenness. And so Mm -hmm. fallenness has like all these things that are complex, you know, so you have anything from insecurity to misunderstanding to mental health to uh, all of this stuff. I mean, like when you think about the the thousands of things that can fall under the umbrella of of fallenness, um, you see that played out in the Old Testament mm. in a ton of ways. And then the New Testament is all about, yeah, like despite that, Jesus offers grace and he redeems. And so I think the point is, you know, as we look at the family, and how it impacts us. I mean, all of our families have this susceptibility to dysfunction and all of our families yeah. have this susceptibility to, to brokenness and, and, and discord and division and all the stuff that can sometimes happen. And that's why it's just so like, we're so desperately needed to, to keep leaning in on the grace that Christ gives us uh, and, and ultimately his guidance and in, in trying to make those things something that's honoring unto him. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. I you're making me think of like not just the law of Moses was meant to show us the, all of these imperfections and show the need for a savior, but also every story in the Old Testament. I mean, if you take it as a whole, there's not a place in life that goes untouched by at least one story in the Old Testament that talks right. about some kind of brokenness or yep. you know prophetic literature or you know whatever it may be. Um, so I think you're dead on. Some of the examples I was thinking of was um, some bad ones and some good ones. So some bad ones would be Jephthah and his daughter, because he's like, God, I'll sacrifice the next thing that walks through the door. And his daughter walks to the door. And it's like, who? That's, that's a bad move, you know? And then also Samson and his parents, there's very much this like crowning of the child. The child is the most important thing, most important, most important, give him whatever he wants, you know? And it was like, ah, I don't know that that's the right way to do it either. Right. right. And then uh, in terms of positive, I think Job came to my mind because especially before everything came about that, you know, Satan was testing him and was, was te- the Lord was letting Satan test his faith in God. Um, because I mean, it said that he would even go and, and sacrifice on behalf of his kids, just in case they may have done something wrong. Yep. And what provision? Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I love that. It is interesting. I will say this, and maybe this leads us into the, that next question. But it's interesting in light of even what I described and that kind of dichotomy of the New Testament and the Old Testament that it's really pretty hard. It's really pretty hard to put your finger on a lot of family in the new testament with the exception of jesus Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and i think there's probably some real intentionality in how god kind of you know uh put all the word together but really like the family dynamic that we see is pretty remarkable i mean you see mary and joseph who um you know mary is a woman of faith you see joseph who's a man of faithfulness uh, and despite all the potential perceptions and accusations that could be made, continue to, to, you know, remain faithful to Mary and to hold true to that marriage. And then you see, even all the way to the cross, um, you know, even see those final interactions between mm. Jesus and his mother. Yeah, pretty remarkable things, you know, and um, 
And so, yeah, really, really interesting that so much dysfunction in the Old Testament, and yet what a really beautiful picture seen in the New Testament, um, and all centered around the person of Jesus. Yeah. Um, moving into those New Testament things, uh, Jesus is the primary example. The Old Testament, we have a lot of stories that are compiled, so we do have multiple families that we get to see a peek into. But in the New Testament, we don't. It, it follows Jesus pretty exclusively. The second to that would be following Paul and all his letters. Mm -hmm. And Paul didn't have a family. He right. was single. Mm -hmm. um, so that, you know, we don't get to see a lot there. I did think about John the Baptist a little, though. Yeah, I thought little, the same. Right. We have a, a little glimpse into his mom and dad and, right. and also their faithfulness uh, to, to raise John. But John was a weird kid. Like when we look at <laughs> we look at in today's terms, you know, John turned out a little strange. He, he was really solitary, kind of went off into the wilderness and, um, yep. but also had a charisma about him that people followed him and believed him, mm -hmm. you know? So uh, we've got that. He also, uh, we get the relationship with Jesus of him being a cousin and right. definitely them having interaction, knowing each other, uh, him pointing toward Jesus, all that, that kind of stuff. But the other examples we have New Testament are really just sentences and, Almost all of them are desperate parents to take care of their kids. Because think mm. about that. Like um, yeah. the um, woman who comes and pleads for her daughter to be healed. The mm. centurion that comes and says, you know, my son needs to be healed. You don't even have to go. Just say the word. And, and he'll be. so you've got these desperate parents who are trying to do good things on behalf of their children. Mm. Yeah, it's also, I think, Rodney, that's a really good point. I mean, so much of what we know, quite literally, are like, so sometimes it's a singular sentence about a story or, so, you know, some some event that happened. But then also sometimes it's straight up lineage. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, oh, oh like, like you please. know, like, and, and that is a really interesting piece, though, even if you look at the lineage of Christ, you've got all this dysfunction in the past. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you've got all these people that are mentioned, and, but that's the beauty of it. It really is the beauty of the gospel in, in so many ways. So, yeah, different, different. Um, yeah, it's just d d interesting thoughts for sure. Yeah, and I love you brought up the lineage piece of it because I think that ties completely into what we're talking about today because, you know, we we see this lineage of Christ as a, as a marker, as a signpost that says anybody and everybody is welcome. But it also means that, anybody that you came from is not going to keep defining who you are. You know, we, we talked about um, some of like, you know, having rough upbringing or like having many, you know, ancestors that have done awful things does not define the person who you are. And ultimately when you are saved and and actively being sanctified by Christ through the Holy Spirit, you know, we, are continuously re-ascribing, re-submitting ourselves to this identity that God is placing before us. And so I think, you know, especially when it comes to the New Testament, we see God described as our Heavenly Father so many times, um, as opposed to the Old Testament, where it's only a couple. Mm -hmm. And and like you like you guys already said, it, it's very much so through the lens of Jesus. So we we get that direct, like, direct line, you know. And I mean, one example I was thinking of was the Lord's prayer. I mean, he starts it off by saying, our father who's in heaven, like you pray by saying our father now, which is crazy to think about. And in terms of like father figures, there is this 
line that Jesus delivers when his family's coming to question him. You know, um, they're trying to get him out from in front of the crowd kind of thing. And he's like, you know, whoever believes in me, those are my brothers. Those are my mothers. Those are my fathers. You know, this is my family. And, um, and um, I think using that and moving through the New Testament, you see this image with Paul and Timothy and Titus, where Paul has been discipling these guys and is sending them off and um, into these different areas as like, I have shown you what to do. Now you go do it kind of thing. Yeah, it's interesting. That's good stuff, man. Really good stuff. So, um, and a lot of the descriptions we get in terms of the the household and the family, like you said, a lot of it is like one line, please to Jesus. And then the only other things we start to get are Paul's description of what the Christian household at that time should look like. I know that at Shoreline, you guys have been going through a series in Ephesians where that was part of the series is to look at what the Christian household is supposed to mimic and what it meant for that era versus this era and what the roles line up to be. Yeah. So. Yeah, for but. sure. I think it's, um, that is so different from our culture today in America in the sense that definitely in the Jewish community, the family was responsible for education. Uh, so not only did you, you know, live together, you also learned the skill and trade of, of probably your parents. You also worshiped together and had the religion of your parents. You did all those things in community. In America, we're very independent. We sp- spread everybody out. You go away to school. You go away to church. I mean, all those kind of things. And it was very central. And I know for myself, like, the New Testament really did not become alive to me until I went to a closed country and I saw house churches and I literally could spend all day in a church or in a house really with people bringing me their family members to witness to and see them become to Christ. And it was for the first time I was like, this is how the, in Acts when it says they and their whole household were baptized and they became believers. And I was Mm. like, Oh my word. Like, we never see this in America because of how disconnected maybe our families are, but there when somebody became a believer, they worked so hard to win the rest of their family to Mm. Christ. And it was just amazing. So that whole household thing is real. It's the real deal. Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. I think think there's, I think, yeah, we we could get into uh, any number of kind of side conversations, but I think there is a, a piece that uh, we have to really embrace our role as parents, as families, that we're not just outsourcing all of that. Uh, you know, that we, that we, doesn't mean that, you know, I mean, I, I, my, I'm not, my kids are not home educated. Uh, many people's are, you know, we still uh, send our kids downstairs to children's ministry on Sunday mornings, you know, I mean, things of that sort. And so it's, it's not, I think it's just the idea that we, we're not, we're not outsourcing it. We're not asking people to take on a primary role as the primary disciple of our children. We're going to embrace that role. Everything else is a compliment to that, you know? So anyways, that's, that's an aside from the conversation. What's the next question, Zach? How can we be self-aware of the pigeonholing ourselves by the parental influence infirmed identity in our, uh, our lives? I think that basically is saying that's awkward for me. Maybe I wrote it wrong. No, yeah. Like, how can you have your identity apart from who your parents want you to be? Your parents have definitely an idea of who you are, but how can you have that identity? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, uh, you know, Zach, Zach mentioned that, uh, you know, we've been walking our way through Ephesians. And of course, you know, this whole thing that Paul's talking about is about, at, the, at least towards the beginning, is about reconciliation. He's talking about how we can be reconciled with a holy God. We're imperfect, unholy, unrighteous people. And we can experience reconciliation with the Father. And because of that, we can also experience reconciliation with one another. And uh, of course, that is primarily in the context of Jews and Gentiles uh, that have all these very distinct, like very distinct traditions, very distinct, um, all kinds of everything from festivals to feasts to all, all the stuff that they did. I mean, just raised in a completely different context. And it's almost as if Paul is just saying, like, listen, like, it's not that it's not that those things don't have value to you is that they mean so little now in contrast to who Christ mm -hmm. is. And so I think that's one of the things that I have to just be mindful of. Like when I think of my family, I can think of things that, that were like really formative for me. And I'm like, awesome. That's man, that was so great. And I, I celebrate that, but I also still have to be mindful that first and foremost, Christ is supposed to be most formative in my mm -hmm. life. And on the other way, the other side of it is, there's some things that I'm like, oh boy, that was a debacle, you know, like, oh, that wasn't, I mean, what, what in the heck was going on there? You know, I mean, just things that you kind of remember that you're like, wait a minute, like those things don't define me either. And, uh, and so I'm not going to, um, you know, I'm not going to look to those things to do that. And so hmm. um, I think pigeonholing is probably a good descriptor of it. I think sometimes we just find ourselves kind of in a groove and we almost give ourselves permission to stay there. Hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like we, we, we're like, well, that's just who we are. But on the other hand, like, you know, yeah, I, I have Buku's of friends. I don't know if either one of you guys are big into the Enneagram stuff, but I feel like I've got plenty of friends that are into the Enneagram, you know, and I always joke like on any of those things, I, I don't even know enough of them to give a good illustration of it, but you know, it's like, hmm. well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a seven wing two, you know, wing something six or whatever. And it's like, well, so that's kind of <laughs> who I am, you know? And you're like, well, but if that's not who Christ wants you to be, yeah, we can't just like laugh and revel in it. And it's kind of, yeah. you know, it's like, no, like that may be who you were, who you're like your flesh wants to be, or maybe who some of your upbringing kind of pointed you to be. But I think for me, it's again, just like, don't just embrace like, where you find yourself as necessarily right. You're hmm. going to embrace who Christ wants you to be and establish that as your plumb line for faithful living, Christ exalting kind of humanity, if I could use that expression. And so, yeah, just to, that's kind of a, my initial reflections on it. Yeah, kind of the whole idea of Rome, uh, you know, Romans 12 too, like do not conform to the patterns of this world. Your parents are a pattern. Yeah. And and you're probably going to follow their pattern, but the Bible says, be transformed, right? Be different than that pattern. Mm -hmm. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, your new creation in Christ. So I think that's definitely true. Yeah, and the transformation, Rodney, may not always be like a diabolical shift away from it. It actually transformation might be, it's just become personal for me. Yeah. So, you know, like, yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things your parents like created a pattern in. And like you might actually be doing those exact same things, but the transformation was you didn't necessarily, you're, you're no longer just doing it because you were told to do it. 
you're doing it because like that's what christ has worked in your heart yeah and that's that's pretty cool you know cool stuff mm. absolutely i thought of another thing with this question too as as we get into that and that has to do with um students are just discovering who they are so we yeah. have a tendency to blame our parents a little bit yeah. for who we are because we have dreams and we want to follow those dreams but i always want to remind students like your parents have dreams too and they have dreams for you and most often this plays out in the question for college students is my mom and dad want me to be a blank, you know, fill in the blank, but I'm feeling led to be this, you know, and I'm like, um, it's usually, I want to, my parents want me to be a doctor. No. I want to be a barista, uh, not necessarily, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, but you know, and it's, uh, it's such this conflict between yeah. uh, dreams Yep. Uh, and you have to figure out how to navigate that. And of course, we've already said the first dream really is for you to be Christ-like. Mm -hmm. So that's your first dream. It isn't the American dream, make the most money, which is often parents. I don't know that parents are greedy as much as parents have had you on their paycheck for the whole time that you've been raised. And their goal is to get you off of their paycheck so that you're independent. Correct. And so they think, hey, go for a job so you can be independent. <laughs> so that's kind of the deal. But what I would say is like, be, be compassionate with your parents mm -hmm. as you explain to them your dreams mm -hmm. of who you want to be. Mm -hmm. And especially for our folks that are called, some of the people that listen to this, this podcast may be called and your parents may be like, hey, I don't really want you to be a pastor because they're not going to make a lot of money and it's a stressful life and blah, blah, blah. They have reasons, but they haven't maybe understood or heard from you yet. You haven't explained it in a, in a terminology, in a way that they can understand that this is a real trajectory of your life because of what God has said to you. Um, so we have to work at communication with our parents all the time, I think, in order to not be pigeonholed into what they want us to do or just to please them, which we were supposed mm -hmm. to honor our parents. That's a scripture verse I'm sure we'll get to, like honor your mother and father. But at the same time, you have to be true to the calling that God has placed upon your life because he's your ultimate parent, you know. Really good, Rodney. And that's actually, that's part of my story. Um, my, my part, part of my story is I accepted a call to, or, you know, surrendered a call to ministry and, um, and my parents just didn't know what to do with it. Like they wanted to be supportive, but my dad, who's again, you know, super kind of preparatory and all of these things and a businessman and, and, you know, like there's, there was just a lot of like uncertainty associated with ministry. And sometimes also just on a really like simple note, like sometimes people, sometimes our parents don't even really know what ministry necessarily looks like, you know, because they, they, they have some like stigma from their childhood of what the pastor did or whatever it may be and kind of want something different for their children. And mm -hmm. so I, I don't have a magic formula for it, but I think a lot of like empathy and a lot of grace given from the perspective of a student uh, or, you know, a young adult towards their parents is appropriate and, and really wise and ultimately going to be really beneficial in the long term. Oh, yeah. With all these things, more grace is always a, uh, a good road to walk down, <laughs> yeah. I think, um, especially dealing with hard topics like this. Um, so we're going to do one more question and then we're going to do some dealing with hard passages that we've kind of moved quickly through. And I want to make sure that we hit those because these were 
particular question passages that students had okay. brought up and our particular arguments that we see today. So one other question that I had that you guys actually don't have, I love doing this, don't hate me though, <laughs> is now we've talked about being self-aware and pigeonholing yourself. What about when you're pigeonholing someone else? How do you remind yourself not to put them, maybe pigeonholing is a bad term for it, how do you remind yourself not to put them in a category or put them in a box based off of an inherited personality trait or like this this thing? How do you make them not only their Enneagram number? You know, yeah. that kind of thing. Stereotyping, maybe. I think it just goes back to me and this idea of scripture tells us that, you know, basically the basic premise of treating others as we would want to be treated, you know, mm -hmm. not how we think they deserve to be treated or how we think that they um you know like what's best for them or anything of that sort like sometimes we want to play god in a little bit of that and so we see someone doing something and we're like well i know what's best for you you know like no mm -hmm. just just um i think you really would want you know you have to be mindful how how would you want people to treat you in that and uh and you would want people to be honest with you but you'd also want people to be loving and kind and patient in that mm -hmm. And so I think the same is true um, in the way that we would interact with other people. But I, human nature is to stereotype, to label, and put people in categories. Mm -hmm. And we are Eastern Tennesseeers, and we're tribal. I mean, that's just the bottom line. We're tribal. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that as a Christian, we have to constantly fight against that to kind of say, hey, you fit in this category. You right fit in this like i'm putting you here because of where you came from what your background is how you look uh how you talk uh like all those things are things that we instantly try to in understanding somebody label them so that we can put them in a nice category right the beauty of the gospel is none of that matters yeah yeah Christ looks at you and your heart and um, and this is so such an important thing for our students to hear too, because like we're we're pretty privileged, you know, the guys that are doing this podcast right now. Um, but there's so many people that come from very hard, hard family situations. Yeah, whether that. that's they don't have money, whether that's they've been abused, mm -hmm. uh, whether that's um, they've been neglected. Um, there's just a number of things that so many of our folks, you know, that we see every day are yeah. dealing with stuff that is so hard and so out of our normal wheel wheel of talking with that we just want to ignore that. We don't yeah. want to go there. We just kind of like put on a happy face, act like everything's fine. We don't really want to do that. And especially with parents. And if your parents are alive or your parents are around, we feel like there could be ramifications of that, you mm -hmm. know? And so I think, you know, as we, as we take this podcast, we're looking at talking to students maybe who haven't had good situations with their parents. How are they yeah. going to deal with that? Give your parents grace. You've got to have forgiveness in your life for that. If you're actually going to change to become more like Christ, there's got to be some forgiveness. Uh, a word of caution Forgiveness can be at a distance mm -hmm. too, because in yes. some family situations that we have people dealing with, it's um, 
it's not your job to go in and fix that or change that or try to stand up against that. It may be your job to get yourself to a safe place mm-hmm. and to work on your own heart for forgiveness of, mm-hmm. of what's been put upon you or placed upon you. Yeah. That's one of the things we were talking about before is, um, you know, we see this command to honor your parents and that even comes through to the new Testament, like being honoring of the parents of the household. But yeah, and I think Rodney did such a good job at, at tackling this about like, you know, what happens when there is that, that abusive parent, what happens when there is that, that bad situation, you know, and saying it's okay to get away and then work on forgiveness. Yeah. You don't have to stay in a bad situation, you know? Yeah, that's a good word. Really good word. So counseling word, we, we often call that toxic. Toxic, we throw that around all the time, but it, you can be in a toxic relationship. You can be in a toxic family. Um, and, and some of those people um, trying to follow Christ is, is nearly impossible. Um, in their yeah. situation. I know students who have been berated for leaving to go to church on Sunday, you know, like, why would you go to church? Oh, you're just trying to be better than us. You know, all, all the, that kind of stuff. And so in those situations, it is, it is a fine line when you're not independent as to how you deal with that situation with the parent and, and how yeah. um, you can live in that situation. So, yeah, there is another, um, on to take kind of a sidestep because like i said we're dealing with hard ideologies we're dealing with hard identities we're dealing with hard passages and so one of the hard ideologies is the most recent um i don't know spit on the the bible type argument has been well god wouldn't do that that's divine child abuse when it comes to jesus on the cross and so there is part of the believer that immediately wants to go into battle over that. But also there's a part of the believer that goes, I have to process what they just said. So let's, let's talk about this. How, how do we process this particular accusation with truth from scripture? Well, I I would just start with, I mean, Jesus was uniquely, you know, he was unique in his role as part of the Trinity. We got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. But at all times, he was still fully God. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, this was not a, a case where um, that somehow Jesus did something. Uh, he, certainly, we see this beautiful picture of submission to the Father. But we also have to understand that he played role of son, but he also was still God. And so you kind of have to understand a piece of like, I think it actually minimizes the piece of Jesus sacrifice. If we think he somehow did something that he wasn't willing to do, you know, or that he just did something that, that, that like he had no say in, I think it minimizes the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And so that there's a piece of that. I think we also just have to be really careful that we don't put, worldly constructs and Mm -hmm. even our own thinking um, of how we consider our our own relationships and then we try to project those onto God and then make God out to look a certain way because he doesn't work within our constructs (laughs) 
you know, right. so yeah. he, um, he, he was there far before us. Yeah. And, uh, and so if he doesn't fit perfectly within our rules, that doesn't make him wrong. It, I, it actually just might mean that he's just God and we're not. And he has some ways that sure. are unique that are different than ours. So it, it, we are doing this constantly today. I feel like we are trying to put ourselves in the judgment seat of on God. Yeah. Um, and that I, I think Jason put it beautifully. He, it, he is God, which means he isn't human and he doesn't fit into the categories that we want him to fit into. There's so much mystery that is involved in the Godhead to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is, uh, uh, we can't make somebody who is divine uh, yep. fit into our human schedule <laughs> of things. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's not a pass. I mean, you know, that's not a pass to somehow be like, I think some people will be like, oh, so you're saying abuse is okay. No, we're just saying it's not abuse. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, like, like in no fashion is anyone affirming abuse. I'm just saying that what Jesus did, that he fully submitted his way and his will to that process. So it wasn't the father abusing Jesus. That's just not yeah. what was happening. It was them both jointly together. Um, showing us a really remarkable relational dynamic, but also both of them submitting to what was necessary for the restoration of the world, you know, mm -hmm. and for, or for the redemption of the world, I should probably say. And so, yeah, uh, I, I, if that's one of those places where I think you can be fairly dismissive of that pretty quick. I agree with that. I, I think, I think we can be pretty dismissive of it. And one passage that comes to mind, I can't remember the reference of it, but um, very vividly, I remember Jesus saying, nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down freely. Mm -hmm. And so maybe we need to be thinking about it in terms of that too. Like th this wasn't an act of abuse. This was an act of offering, you know, yeah. and it, it's, it puts it in a whole different category. Like you guys already said, you guys are talking about stuff in Isaiah. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways are higher than your ways. There's some stuff we are just not going to get. One of my favorite pastors says it's like trying to teach calculus to ants. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> so, it's, it's, it's also, you don't really want to worship a savior who, or you don't want to necessarily worship a God who like, well, man, he, 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 he rescued you from your sins, but he didn't really want to do it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, no, like his dad made him. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's, I don't really think that's as majestic and as glorious as the scripture paints Jesus to be. So that's right. that's right. So now that we're on this topic of God being a father, these are the, this is the part of the student ask questions. I always want to get to these because students specifically asked for these to be on the episode. So why or how is our heavenly father, how is God better than a good earthly father? Because it's pretty obvious where we see he's better than a bad one, but yeah. <laughs> how is he better I mean, than a good one? Segue from our conversation, he is divine, we are human. His knowledge is complete. Mm -hmm. Our knowledge is in part. I mean, so, um, you know, just segueing from where we were, is a divine father that knows everything knows what is best. Mm -hmm. that's a great thing right there absolutely even there's a lot of times parents don't have sometimes earthly fathers don't have great intentions 
But even on the days that we have our best intention, sometimes we don't succeed in that. Uh, and so, um, you know, like a really easy example is that like, it's been two or three years ago, but Carrie and I had a complete misunderstanding between the two of us about who was picking up one of our boys from school. <laughs> I thought she was doing it. She thought I was doing it. One of our boys sat at school for 30 minutes awaiting a parent that was not coming, you know, and, uh, and that wasn't my intention. My intention was for me to care for him, but we just failed that day. Uh, well, here's what you can know. Heavenly Father does not fail us. Mm. He never leaves us, never forsakes us, never abandons us, never misses out on a moment. You know, those are the distinctives. I mean, we could, we could list them pretty extensively. Yeah, I was about to say, I think we could go all day on just this question about like, okay, what aspect of a right. good father do you want to tackle with this one, you know? Right, exactly. And uh, to kind of close this out, there was one about relational, um, I don't know, relationships with, with people that have had harder pasts with their parents than you have. Um, so I know this is not a catch-all answer. We are not giving the silver bullet to, to win this, but what is some advice that you would give to how you could have empathy for somebody? I thought Rodney's statements earlier were really solid, really, really solid. Here, here would be a few things that I would mention. One is that there's certain things that some of you have, some of the listeners have walked through that should never be minimized, meaning that they are incredibly hard. They're they are remarkably difficult to try to walk through and process. And I'm sincerely, yeah. even though I don't know who's listening, I'm sincerely sorry that they faced that. Um, I would also say that sometimes things don't just get prayed away, yeah. uh, you know, meaning that at times like you really need to, you need to experience and, and walk through a counseling relationship mm -hmm. and you need to seek some people that can really help you, whether it's um, people uh, connected to the ministry or, or professional counseling, um, you, you're gonna have to bring some of those things to the forefront. I would also simply say that, you know, we have a responsibility towards forgiveness um, and reconciliation, but that does not necessarily mean restoration to the degree of what it once was. Yeah. So that does not mean that you, you're going to you're going to go back and be the nine-year-old kid in the home with your parents who were in that season of life they were in. That's you're not. No one's telling you to go back into that. It is more to try to find some personal peace um, as best you can with the Lord, um, and then also just to offer you know, whatever the appropriate response is and, and forgiveness or reconciliation, if it's, if, if it can be found, uh, in that no one, no one's telling you to forget. I'm not the forgive and forget. Forgetting is nearly impossible. <laughs> uh, you know, but I think, uh, the idea of, of not trying to fix everything from the past, but rather trying to fix your heart in the moment mm. today. Uh, you cannot make those memories go away. You cannot make those conversations not have happened. But what you can do is be responsible for the moments that you do have. And sometimes you still can't be responsible. You're not responsible for their reaction, their response, their next steps, but you can be responsible for yours. Yeah. I think one of the things uh, I read an article just the other day that said we are losing the, um, the art of empathy. Of putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Yeah. 
that's really dangerous. But I think in most of these cases, what we need to say, despite what my background is, I'm trying to hear you in what your background is and what you're dealing with. And I'm trying to maybe have a level of sympathy for that, uh, have a level of compassion for that uh, and provide you support. Um, we're fixers a lot of times. And so when we hear things that have happened to other people, we want to fix that, you know, where I can fix, yeah. you can't fix uh, family relations for other people. And especially as you get into a spouse relationship as it's coming on, you're going to have issues that your spouse is going to have that they're going to have to deal with. And you as their spouse are not going to be able to fix their past or their relationship with their families. So in these cases, we need to have a lot of support for the person that we're listening to. Mm -hmm. We encourage them to get right with God so that they'll know how to handle that situation. Mm -hmm. And we need to just have a lot of empathy. Yep. You know, like um, one of the things that I learned as a student pastor right away is uh, I was always super excited for break because I got to go home to my family, which I wanted to do. But not everybody else wanted to go home for break because yep. their family was often in chaos. And at school, they had a level of peace and a level of distance uh, from that chaos. And so not everybody wanted to go home. And I think, again, be sensitive, like think through some of maybe your life and your schedule needs to include people that maybe don't have good home situations mm -hmm. That yeah. you can bring them into a positive home situation and see like, this is what this should look like. You know, we've had people over at our house for dinner. You said you like to entertain and they're like, my family has never sat down and had a meal together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it blows them away that as Zach, you said that you would have questions at dinner. You know, how was your day? What did mm -hmm. you, do? you know, that you would check in with one another it blows them away. They've just never been that before. It's like, we always just get fast food. Everybody eats on their own and they go to the rooms or they watch TV and there's not that interaction. So be super compassionate for others out there. And if you can invite people that do maybe live in chaos and other things into the calm of your family situation, perhaps you can give them a glimpse of what the future possibilities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's good. Uh, and the last thing I'll say is I just want to, again, agree wholeheartedly. In addition to that idea of the word empathy, I would also just throw patience. Yes. <laughs> it just doesn't happen overnight. Uh, people are not going to walk out of deep wounds, you know, in a few moments or over a singular cup of coffee. I mean, it's going to be a long walk. And I love what Rodney said too, just inviting people. If, if God has been so kind and, and gracious to allow you to have a, a home currently that is really healthy or maybe a relational dynamic that is healthy, like invite other people into it. Mm -hmm. I give them something to see and something to strive towards that they've never seen before. Yeah, I totally agree. I love just to kind of, to close this out, what you guys are saying in total is this, um, this desire for us to fix people has to start leaving because it's not our job to begin with. You know, we talked about this a little bit in our last episode about identities. We kind of have this urge that we want to fix what's wrong with them before we deal what's wrong with us. And I love how you guys said it. And you said, um, you know, God's redeeming power is persistent and powerful and there's nothing it can't touch that's not our power and that's not our role we can be persistent for a while but <laughs> yeah we ultimately have to rely on god to to help us in those situations so good guys 
I have loved doing this. I've loved having you guys on. Thank you so much for helping us out as we close out today. Uh, so everybody listening, thank you for listening. Please don't forget to like, comment, subscribe. If you need to get a hold of us, you know how to get a hold of us. All the contact stuff's in the description of the episode. Um, and let us know what you're looking for next. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye, everyone.